Well, our purpose this morning is to understand that we are Christ's ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be together this morning. We pray as we come to your word that it might stimulate us and challenge us and change us, particularly as we understand the state of this world and just who Jesus Christ is and how much he loves us. We pray that that will transform us in our lives, in our thinking, that we might understand what it means to be your ambassador and we might want to be that to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about why God doesn't just come and just wipe the whole thing out. Why doesn't he just wrap it up now? Surely that would save so much pain and problems. Uh, why doesn't he ordain, you know, why is he ordained this day? At least as one extra that the earth should continue to exist with all the pettiness and triviality, with all the stupidity and emptiness that's out there. I had a phone call last night from Hermione Thompson from her 8 o'clock congregation uh, saying she called the ambulance, she'll be heading into palliative care and she's not going to be coming out. Uh, well, at least unless you know, God performs some amazing miracle that these will be the last few days of her life. Uh, it's really sad, but th- that's the way the world is. And I mean, the last year for our church, there were so many deaths and so, you know, issues and things with in people's lives. It was just pain. Why doesn't God just come and wrap it all up? You know, deal with the whole ISIS problem and, and everything else. Why doesn't Jesus come back now? Well, think of it from another perspective. Why does He leave us here in this world? Why wouldn't it be better if when we became Christians? Yeah, that very moment, we just kind of got taken away. Went straight to heaven. You know, we're saved. That's where we're going anyway. Just kind of leave this earth like uh, Elijah did in the Old Testament. Wouldn't it be better if we just got zapped off to our heavenly home? I think everything would be better, wouldn't it? Better for us anyway. Uh, you know, our, our lives would be purer. Our joy would be fuller. We would have all the treasures of heaven. And we'd have pure worship there, pure lives there. We'd be closer to each other than we have ever been. Not physically. I mean, we want to have sweat space on a hot day like this. But yeah, but just, we, you know, there'd be no secrets. and But it'd be joy and love and happiness. We'd be closer to our heavenly Father. And God would do us each the power of good if he just took us down. All the problems of life, the worries, the stress, the anxiety, the suffering, the fear of the unknown, the uneasiness we might have about the future, it'll be gone if he just took us away now. But he doesn't. He hasn't. Why not? Well, there's really only one reason that he doesn't do it, only one reason that God is holding back from calling this world it, only one reason he's holding out just a little while longer before destroying the universe. Why? Because there are still people who need saving. That's why. Uh, Peter explains it very clearly in 2 Peter chapter 3. Now I'm hoping yeah, this, this will pop up here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, on the day, of the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done and it will be laid bare. He goes on to talk about more about the joys of heaven and, and some of the other changes. But he says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That is the reason God has not come to destroy the universe and rebuild everything for heaven yet. Because he's being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but to come to know the Lord Jesus. That's the reason that we are still here, because he wants more people not to go to hell, but to come and be in his heaven. And he has left us here. The reason he doesn't take us away straight away is because uh, we are the ones he intends to use to tell the world that that, uh, that is what God is going to do, but also how to be saved from one for the other. We're God's heralds, if you like. We're his messengers to call the world in rebellion against God and to come to him in repentance and, and to trust his son Jesus, who has graciously paid for us to be forgiven and cleansed. And we, I mean, we get that in the Great Commission, don't we? The last thing that Jesus said to the apostles in Matthew's Gospel, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so what do you got to do, my people? Go tell everyone how to become disciples. You know, command them, teach them, implore them. But we're looking at 2 Corinthians 5 today, where Paul explains how uh, that kind of vision of the world and that we are to be God's messengers ought to be our abiding aim, our driving passion, to be able to be the ones to share the good news and see people come to life in Jesus Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. And 2 Corinthians 5 really explains what it means for us to be Christ's ambassadors to this dark world. And it gives us the motivation, it gives us the transformation that takes place in us, and it gives us the declaration that we go with, the motivation, the transformation, and the declaration. We are Christ's ambassadors, the motivation. Why should we take on that awesome responsibility and make it our life's driving passion and ambition to be God's representatives? Well, there's two reasons, there's two motives in the passage that are going to get us out of bed in the morning and think, you know what, it's really good to be a Christian and I'm going to be the kind of Christian that kind of wants the world also to come and join me in God's family. And the two motivators are fear and love. Not think that's a very weird combination of things. There's fear and there's love. But he says them both in here. Now, let me just look at them. He says, fear, verse 10, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord we try to persuade men. Actually, it's verse 11. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Why fear? Why fear? Well, because there is a judgment day and there is hell. In the very last verse of the previous section, he has just said, we must all appear one day before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or or bad. And Paul knows, and I hope that you and I both know, that without Christ, that is a bad situation to be in, to stand before Jesus, the King and the Judge of the universe, in all his purity, in all his holiness, in all his majesty, and to think that I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I'm all right, I'm coming in. It's not going to be the case. The whole Bible resounds with the bell of warning that no one is good enough to make it through God's judgment unscathed. All people are sinners, you know, and as such we're facing the holy wrath of the perfect, just and righteous God. And that is a fearful, fearful thing. Hebrews 10 puts it this way, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And you consider the world with its 7 billion inhabitants at the moment and that will grow to 8 billion presumably in the next 10, 15 years. Seven billion people on this planet. And without being remade by God in Jesus Christ through the gospel message, not one of them will make it to heaven on their own merits. 
and it matters not whether they are rich or poor, whether they are healthy or sick, what culture, what background, what social status they have had. That is the destiny of all without Christ, be they friends, be they neighbours, be they family, be they colleagues, be they members of our community, be they the tribes and the nations. They all tread the broad road that leads to destruction, as the Lord Jesus put it, which is what we once trod before we knew Christ, right? And that ought to fill us with, with a sense of horror and of grief that they do not know the one that can save them from that. But it's not just fear that Paul says should motivate us. There's something even greater, something that will really get us going and get us up in the morning and, and, and drive us to want to be the greatest ambassadors of Jesus Christ that we can possibly be. And that thing is the love of Jesus, the love of Christ. It's in verse 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Here is this fearful end, but Christ's love compels us. Now, people want to be loved, don't they? I take it you like being loved. I hope someone loves you. Uh, you know, If I don't know you, maybe we could have a hug later. But anyway, <laughs> people search for love in relationship and, and they search it in satisfaction in all kinds of ways. But here is someone who offers more love than you could ever experience in a human relationship. I know that Alison loves me. Now, that's my wife, if you haven't met her. Uh, she must do, because she's still around. <laughs> and I'm pretty ordinary, so that's why. She loves me, but I know for absolute certain that Jesus loves me so much more, infinitely more, mind-blowingly more. I, I can't fathom it. He loves me. It's almost unimaginable. The king of the universe, the one who made this planet and the stars and the sky and everything, he loves me. His love took him to the cross for me. I don't, I, anyone died for you other than him? You may have been fortunate in the, in the surf and someone saved you, but he died my death. He's paid my sins to rescue me from that hellish eternity and to bring me into a forgiven, loving relationship with my maker. I don't deserve it, but he did it and he calls me to himself to be his. And if I understand that, it ought to grip me, this mercy and love that I was shown he is offering to, to everyone, to others. And so is that what motivates you? Is that what drives you? If it's not, may I ask, why not? Is it that you've never really come to grasp where, where you're headed and, and what he's done for you? Or is it like a lot of Christians, you know, become a Christian as this initial flourish of joy and you know, we want to tell everyone and uh, it's all exciting but then we get a few knockbacks and then we get discouraged and then we kind of become afraid that people are going to turn us and then it's like, oh, I don't know what to say and... And we just stop caring and we get invested in other things in the world and so we just, it turns to apathy for Jesus and for the lost of the plight. And more important question is, how, how do you recapture that? How do you, how do you get it back if you've lost it? I think it's only as we delve into the, the great truths of who Christ is and we see again his majesty and his, 
his mercy, his righteousness and his love. And as we think about and, and dwell on what the, the Bible's got to say about life and about eternity and heaven and hell and, and, and all the other wonderful things that the Scripture's there for and how the, how the atonement works, that so we start to recapture it. Fear and love, they are the two motivations. Do you feel them? Do, do they pour at your heart? We are Christ's ambassadors. And so the transformation. How should that fear of Christ's judgment on this world and the love of Christ that saves us from it transform us? Well, in two ways that Paul speaks of here, it says it's to transform us in the way that we live and in the way that we speak. Uh, sorry, the way that we look, actually, the way that we live and the way that we look. Uh, we're to be utterly transformed in the way that we live. We're to have, well, we're to have an alternate lifestyle, if you like. Not kind of going down the bush and growing dreadlocks and smoking funny stuff. That's an alternate lifestyle. But uh, this is an entirely new way of living that Jesus is, is uh, transforming in us. Look at verse 14 again. He says, Christ's love compels us. Why? Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I don't really get that last bit, except at least it's saying that in, in Christ's death is the death of death itself. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, you get the gist of it. Christ's love compels us, it drives us, it pushes us, it gives us energy and focus. Why? Because he, he's done it all. He's paid for us. He's given his life for us, for forgiveness and life. And he went through the horrible things he did, endured the cross to take our punishment. And why did he do it? So that we who live could no longer live for themselves, but for him. That we'd live for Jesus and not ourselves, him who died for us and was raised again. That is to say, Jesus did not die for us so that we could go on living our own way without him. He died because that's what we were doing, which was driving us to hell. And in taking our punishment, he calls people, he calls you and me, he calls everyone to no longer live for ourselves but for him. In fact, if you think about it deeply, and I think I was only thinking about it early this morning as I was reflecting on this, a new thought occurred to me that the love of Christ is seen both in his saving act but in also calling us to serve him because he's bringing us back into our right mind. He's helping us to understand what, what the true human life should look like as, as his servant because it's, it's like a train on a train track. It could only go when it's on a train track. And Christ is restoring us and it's his love in what he's bringing us back to, his service. We are his and we're to live life his way. We are to, to think things his way. We're to value the things that he values. As we read the scriptures, we're not meant to be going, I don't like that bit. Like, you know, just rip that bit out. We're to start to say, no, no, hang on. Christ thinks this, and he is my Lord. Why, why does he think that? How can I start to appreciate it and love it? We're to delight in what Christ delights in. We're to, to shun what Jesus shuns. And it means that our lives are going to be given over to his service so that his purposes ought to become our purposes because he is the master and we are the servants. It's an entirely new way of living. 
not living as the world for our career or just for our pleasures or money or fame or power or the experiences as if any of those things could replace Jesus as the meaning and purpose of life. Because you know what? All those things, as good as they are, having a home and a family and things, the things, they're all destined to perish. They're all going to be destroyed. There's only two things in the whole of the scriptures that are said to last on into eternity. You know what those two things are? Godliness and people. Godliness and people. Godliness only because Derek preached on it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and people. God is in the business of saving people for eternity. Your home is going to burn. Your career in the long run, in eternity, it means nothing. How you, how you do your career means everything because that's the godliness part. How you serve Jesus. They are temporary and insubstantial and if you invest those things with the meaning of life, you're going to be truly disappointed in the end because life is about Jesus and his service. And so we're also to be transformed in our sight. Jesus gives us a new way of looking and seeing, seeing the world, seeing reality. Now, uh, you know those pictures uh, that are designed so that you look at it and see one particular thing but then... Someone says, no, 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 it's something else. Then you look at it and you go, oh, oh hang on. You know, it's a really clever kind of design. I've got a couple of classic examples here. Uh, uh, <clears throat> who sees the cup? Yeah, all right. Who sees the, uh, the two people gazing into each other's eyes? There you go, kind of thing. And at 8 o'clock, they're like, there's no people in that picture. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> there's no cup. <laughs> Well, it's both. Yeah, you're thinking about it now. Yeah, good, excellent. But it requires a new way of looking to look at the black and not the white or the white and not the black, depending on which one you saw when it came up or this one. He's uh, a classic. Who sees a young lady? Who sees a really old lady? There you go. Who can see both? Yeah, the, uh, the young lady, she's looking back over her shoulder that way. The old lady, she's looking forwards over that way. There you go. Oh, here's one that's a little bit grimmer. There you go. A sweet picture of a picnic. Girl sitting between the trees who can see death in the background. <laughs> it's a skull. There you go. They're just silly examples, but Jesus doesn't show us how to, uh, how to see funny pictures. And get the trick and go, oh, yeah, okay, I see it now. He's in the business of utterly transforming the way we see reality, the way that we see the world, the way that we see people. See it here. So from now on we regard, we see, we look at no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Was an old battered shoe, now it's a new shoe. Yeah, I mean, you know the kind of ways that people look at each other and they regard each other, the kind of categories that, that everyone's dividing each other into and, and working out their place in the social pecking order, you know, fat, thin, rich, poor, ugly or good-looking, interesting or snooze-fest, 
I I'm good too. It's really, really challenging for me. Always being regarded as you know tall and thin and good looking and interesting on time by everyone. Well, you know, being considered like a piece of meat. I'm really sick of no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> As if, yeah. Uh, we're looking at the same guy. I see myself in the mirror and I think, you're a good looking dude. <laughs> and then the mirror cracks. <laughs> but people are always weighing each other up over those kind of things, aren't they? Yeah, you know? and, and you kind of place yourself in the social order and you go into a new situation and you can kind of rank yourself. And uh, they did an experiment once, uh, they got 10 guys and 10 girls. And they asked them all to rate who is the best, you know, one to ten of the other gender, who is the best looking. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, they, they both groups had to do it to each other. And then they said, by the end of the next hour, you have to agree to have gone out on a date with someone. You know how they all got together at the end? It was one, one, two, two, three, three. It was like, there was a couple of like four and fives, you know, kind of thing. But it was, it just, it just happened to work out that everyone, you know, thought, I really want to go out with the person at my level. Or maybe they had a sort of inferiority complex. Uh, but no one, like, shot for the top and no one thought, I'm going down there. Yeah, it, it just, that's how people weigh each other up. Judging by externals. Judging by things that are of no real significance. and certainly not of eternal significance. These things aren't even going to last in this life, let alone the next. We're all going to turn into flabby old men and balding and grey and wrinkly, grey-haired old ladies. You check it, check it up with us sometime. You look up close and they go, Meh! you know, kind of thing. I, you know, things are going seriously wrong when you're at the barber having a haircut and he doesn't even ask, he just starts going for your eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> I am well on my way. But Jesus calls his people to a new way of looking around at everyone else. Not with any of those categories but a new way of categorising people in Christ or not. New creation, old creation. Forgiven, unforgiven. Safe from the judgement, facing judgement. That is what really matters. And not so we can sit in judgement and scorn, but so that we can love them and help them understand how to, how to get right with God. That is the only thing that really matters. That is the only thing that really matters. Let him transform the way you look. We are Christ's ambassadors, the declaration. The final thing I want to draw your attention to is the message that we have. After all, that is what ambassadors are all about. They go with the message. They go as, an, as a representative of a king or a nation. You know, Australia's ambassador to Latvia. You know, what are they doing there? Are they helping out Australian citizens who are in trouble in Latvia, uh, right, providing a place of refuge and so on? But they're... They're selling a vision of Australia and saying it's a great place to holiday or to, to move to. They're going with a message, a declaration. And we have a declaration from our amazing king which we're being called on as his ambassadors to make to a lost and lonely world of people who are blissfully unaware of their destination. You see it there in verse 20. We implore on Christ's behalf... The NIV snuck in a word you that's not really there in the original. We implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Be reconciled to God. You don't know Christ. Be reconciled to God. You, you do know Christ. Well, stay being reconciled to God. That's our message. Why? Because Christ died for sin. He who had no sin became sin for us. It was a straight swap. And, and, and we can be viewed as the righteous. We're dirty, rotten sinners, but, but Christ has done everything. See, no one's going to get to heaven by seeing a Christian live a godly life alone. They need the message. You can't be reconciled to God without hearing the gospel and taking it on board. You, you hear the passion in the word implore. We implore on Christ's behalf. We beg. We urge. I mean, he's not saying cajole or nag, but, but we, 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 we plead with people. And why wouldn't we, given where they're headed and who Christ is? And so we're his ambassadors. We, we go to this dark world as his representatives. We go with his message, driven, transformed, declaring his greatness and their need, and our own need at that. And that is our purpose while we're still here on this earth. That is why God hasn't wrapped things up yet. That's why he has not taken you to be with him in glory, which would be way better for you, but way worse for the world. And that's something we've got to instill in each other and build ourselves up in. And, and one of the things we really want to work on as a church in this coming year and the future is, is in, in this building up of each other in the task that Jesus has given us. I know that some of us are scared and some of us you know, don't like sharing our faith and we're private and so on, but, but we want to be our church to be such a group that's on fire for Jesus that will help each other to get better and better and, and fired up and equipped at being his ambassadors, to train and to think and, and equip ourselves for the task. And we want to build that into the very heart of our DNA as a church. And I just want to take a few moments then to show you something. Over half of our church have come in the last three years. So uh, we, we set something up a few years ago which, which uh, helps us understand what our purpose is and I was just going to go over it again, and I know some of you have heard it before, and that's why it's good to be reminded and stuff, and you'll go, oh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, and I want to show you then how that impacts on our, our, our church life and the decisions we make and so on. Okay, this is, so this is our purpose. And it stems out of this issue of being Christ's ambassadors. All right, here's a picture of a target. It's a target because it's what we're aiming at, but it's also what the Bible's saying our aim should be. Okay? And it's a circle. It's a, imagine there's a clock going around from midnight round again up to midnight. Okay? So the, the top there is the goal. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says we aim to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what we want for everyone. We want everyone to be uh, to know Christ deeply and, and to pursue him in their life and to honour him in what they do and say, that, that's what we do. And Paul says we teach and admonish everyone with that aim in mind. That's not just the people in the church, it's everyone. That's why he went through Europe and through North Africa and the islands, because to, to present everyone mature in Christ, that's the goal. But as people, you know, we want to engage with people, so we want to share with people who, who know nothing, who, who've never stepped foot in a church, who, who don't know any Christians, 90% of Sydneysiders say that they don't know a church-going Christian. Now, that may not be true because they may know an invisible one, right, an anonymous Christian uh, who's just not talking about it. But that is a scary thought, is that 90% of Sydney 
wouldn't know who to ask how to get right with God. And so we want to help those people. We want to engage with everyone. Okay, that's the first step. We've got, we've got to engage with those who know nothing and no one and no church. That means we've got to get out. We can't just say, yeah, great that we're here and hope that people come along. We've got to go and engage. We'll be talking about these things more over the next few weeks. We'll be delving over the next four weeks into the four quadrants. Okay, but we've got to engage with people who, who don't know a Christian and don't know the gospel. Then we want to share Jesus with them. Okay, once we've got to know, we want to say, you know what? Um, there's something we really love you to know for your greatest good. That's not for our benefits, for your benefit and for God's glory. And that is Jesus died for you. In fact, the subtle line down the middle is because there's a big biblical distinction between out of Christ and in Christ, the old creation, new creation. And there's a very definite point at which someone's out of the kingdom and when they're in the kingdom. Okay, now, you might not be able to remember a date and time that you might have grown up in a Christian family, but be assured that is the case. Colossians 1.13 says, uh, we were once in the kingdom of darkness, but now we're in the kingdom of Jesus who God loves. Okay, and so when they've, when they've understood the gospel and they've trusted it and they've said, God, I want to be forgiven, I want to be yours, then they're, they're part of the kingdom. But we're going to help new Christians by establishing the faith. I mean, it's not obvious necessarily what you do as a new Christian. Okay, um, all right, you tell me I'm forgiven. What, what next? What happens? You, and you know, say, so, oh, right, you got a new relationship with God. Uh, praying, praying is a really good thing to do. Let me, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, church, why, why do you go to church? What are the, what's that for? Uh, reading your Bible, you know, is, where do, do I start at the start and just read the way through? Most people who do that uh, get very discouraged very, very quickly. You know, and there's uh, and and oh, is the whole Bible going to be that? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I spoke to someone the other day who gave up in numbers. They made it all that way. Uh, I'm challenging myself in my quiet times to go from front to end, and I'm up to Psalm 38. Uh, nearly there halfway. So, <laughs> but it's hard work. Uh, but, but what do you do with all these things? And we've got to establish people in all that kind of stuff. But then we want to, as people start growing their faith and being established, they'll, they'll start to understand that the Christian life is about being served, sorry, serving and not being served. And once that kind of clicks, we want to we want to help equip people in their service. We want to help them go, okay, all right, you need to skill up. Here's some things. And to start seeing the world God's way. And it's those kind of people who then start to say, yes, there is this journey that people are on. And they start to be able to identify where people are up to and, and how to take the next step on the journey. And we're going to be going over those the next few weeks. But one of the ways that that impacts then what we decide to do as a church is that that's our emphasis in the four terms of the year. It just so happened that the Australian government uh, saw our church plan and said, four-term year, fantastic. Uh, actually, it was the other way around. But, uh, so first term is all about engaging. Okay, So we're doing some events and some things just to, to meet some new people. And I hope that you take this turn to meet some new people yourself. You, know, you, you travel to work in town and, and you're on the train with a whole bunch of people. You know the same people are there every day. You could say... I, <laughs> you know, take a step of faith and uh, have a conversation about, you know, 
breakfast, <laughs> uh, but just you know, start being friendly. Talk to your, your barber or your hairdresser when they start asking you all those embarrassing questions, you know, and ask them about themselves. Make some new friends. Uh, and now hopefully we'll be doing, we'll be meeting some people at church who are, who are really good at engaging uh, next week. And and what do they do and so on? Uh, uh, yeah. So that's first term, and so whatever you do, do not invite anyone to church in first term because <laughs> we're talking about them and we're praying for them and we're begging Christ that he would do his work in second term when we're just going to go full ball evangelism with events, with things, we're going to encourage all the groups, the small groups to be doing things, you know, having dialogue, dinners and discussions or, or whatever, you know, second term, it's... Every week, you know, bring your friend. <laughs> um, third term, it's more about establishing in terms of the preaching program. You know, here's how you live as a Christian, parts of the Bible uh, that, that are really appropriate to that. We're working through Romans over second and third term. The first half's really about the, the gospel foundations. The second half then, how that impacts our lives as Christians. Um, fourth term's deeper. And we hope that the groups will do some training and some pushing and, and we'll, you know, we'll do some uh, darker secret arts from the Old Testament. Uh, we're doing Nehemiah in fourth term this year. You're like, Nehemiah. Okay, who's he? Yeah, that's why we're doing that in a quick term. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's just a start of, of how our thinking about being Christ ambassadors and, and going to this dark world influences what we're hoping to be. Now we have some bigger, longer-term plans in terms of facilities and people and changes and so on, but we won't go into that now. But we've just changed the way we, we talk about ourselves to this. We used to say we're making disciples who make disciples of Jesus. And we thank God that we have seen uh, uh, 50, 60 people over the last few years come to know Christ, which is amazing. Uh, we, you know, we are in the top five churches in the diocese of seeing people come to Christ. Uh, so the statistics tell us uh, from NCLS, so it'd be interesting to see what the next lot of statistics that come out next year tell us, if we've still been going on with that or not. But we just thought this would be sharper because this is what Jesus is doing. He is saving the lost by maturing the saints. He is working on his people in order to equip them and grow them and help them to understand, to send them out of the world, to go win the lost, to go with the word of the gospel, to be his ambassadors. And we want to make our aim his aim. So that's what we're on about, saving the lost by maturing the saints. Let me pray. Our Father, we beg of you this morning that you would give us such a clarity of understanding of why you have placed us here on this earth and why you have not wrapped up this world and why you have not just taken us to be with you. We pray that amidst the busyness of our lives and the pressures of our jobs and the responsibilities with our families, the joys and the difficulties that we face, that we might understand our role as your ambassadors and that we might be so motivated by the knowledge of the coming judgment day and driven, compelled by the love of Jesus Christ, that we would delight to make you known to the world who he came to save. Help us in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we are, to promote you and to commend your gospel to those around us, 
so they too might be reconciled to you. They might know the joy of salvation and the hope of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.